Tonight on the Goblin's Corner, Custom Monsters. That's how we roll. 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 Welcome to the Goblin's Corner. My name is Eric. And I'm Matt. And tonight, we're doing Custom Monsters. That's right. Excitement. This is, we've been doing several Custom Monster episodes before. Yeah. So we did Stupid Monsters, for example. Sure. The Ludicrous Bestiary Part 1 and 2. Yes. And we had some outreach saying, hey, we'd like some rules on how to make some custom monsters. Sure. So tonight, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. We literally are just going to teach you guys how to make some custom monsters for your TTRPG of choice, whether it's D&D, Shadowrun, Pathfinder, anything, really. Pathfinder, Monster of the Week, you yeah. name it. We're- yeah, Monster of the Week, whatever it happens to be. We'll show you how to make some custom monsters uh, with an emphasis on storyline, scareability. Yeah. That's my 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 gauge, how how much it freaks out the players. Sure. And just fun, really. Yeah. And, and that's, what, that's what we're doing tonight. That's and literally what we're doing. Yeah. It doesn't even have to be. It doesn't have to be scary. But. But considering the time frame that we're releasing this in, it should be it scary. It should be scary. But before we get to that. You got a question of the week, man. That's right. So what's the question of the week this time, Matt? Okay. So what two standard monsters or creatures mm-hmm. would you combine for a horror-flavored mm. fantasy and or cyberpunk game? For a horror-flavored fantasy, I'm going to say a Pomeranian, mm-hmm. either that or a Sharpe, some kind of puffy... You know I hate looking. it already. Just I, I, I know. You want to turn it into gravy and eat it. That's fine. And a mean lock okay. from second edition D&D. That's my fantasy creature. So mean lock is really just this nasty little critter with nothing but like a face full of teeth. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be... So you want to make a Pomeranian? Yes. I want to make... And maybe a porcupine. Okay. So now we're looking at something from the movie Critters. Sure, sure. Okay. Just a, just a, just a Pac-Man mouth and a, just this little bastard that just, he's going to bite you all about your ankles. Still just sounds like a Pomeranian. That's also very true. Now, as far as a cyberpunk style or sci-fi style, I'll mm-hmm. also say. Sure. Uh, I will say anything with a, hmm, saying horror themed, I'm thinking... Sludge Monster, mm-hmm. and something insectoid. Praying Mantis. So a goo-spitting praying mantis. Sure. All right. So imagine, if you will, a gelatinous cube. But it's not a cube. It's more of a rectangle, ovoid-style shape. And it slithers in, and intermixed with the gelatin are... Nothing but skittering claws, pinchers, and chitin, and big bug eyes. Maybe like an insectoid version of a gibbering mouther, actually. Okay. I'm with it. And it bursts forth, assumes a semblance of a form, skitters towards you, and then engulfs you, before, but after biting your head off. Sure. Because that's the important part. It's got to bite your head off first, right. then mate with it. So. <laughs> you actually, because you added sci-fi, now I've got three. Oh, that's perfect. All right, so give me your fantasy first. Okay. Oh, by the way, in, in terms of like cyberpunk, if we're just going to cyberpunk, 
honestly, anything mixed with a devil rat is great, but I was thinking uh, an ankylosaurus, just because you love them. Mixed As with, everyone should. Mixed with a velociraptor. Okay. So it can club you to death and then eat you. So what if it's like a bunch of tiny, really fast ankylosauruses that are carnivorous? Yes. Yeah, now I'm with it. That's great. It's just a fast maul that just beats you to death. I'm absolutely... The next time a party gets out of hand, that's what they're dealing with is a pack of those. Now, if you added wings, it would be a flying Koopa. For all intents. Just saying. Okay, it's your turn now. So fantasy, cyberpunk, sci-fi. So fantasy, I'm going to keep it relatively simple. You're keeping it real? We're going to take a sword spider. And we're going to take that and we're going to mix it with an octopus. Okay. Now, for the people at home, I'm thinking uh, not Dark Mantle, but a um, yeah. a Dark Weaver. Okay. Yeah. Spider yeah, 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 head yeah. with the octopus tentacles, but you're going in a different direction, right? Yeah. Yeah. So picture, if you will, the eight sword points of a sword spider. Everybody use your mind's eye now. But instead of being attached to the chitinous legs of a normal spider, mm -hmm. they're attached to tentacles. And instead of having the bulbous body of a spider with a spider's head, what we're going to do is we're going to make that bulbous part the actual octopus head. We're going to give it a pair of spider mandibles, but underneath the spider mandibles, instead of the chelicera, yeah. we're going to have the beak of... An octopus. The horny beak. Yes, indeed. <laughs> the horniest of beaks. Awesome. That's freakish and wonderful. I can only like I can only imagine that the way that would move would be utterly alien and terrifying. It needs to shift very fast and slow at the same time, just to mess with people. That's something that's definitely like beyond the doorways, you know, some skew geometry type mm -hmm. stuff. I'm down with that. All right, cool. What about your cyberpunk? Cyberpunk? I'm actually going to go fully cyberpunk, and I'm going to take the ghost in the machine mm -hmm. and break it into a thousand skittering pieces of an insect swarm. That's cool. I think that would be... Horrifying. <laughs> just absolutely... Slowly just... chews you to pieces on the Matrix? Yes. Yeah, chummer. And because you said sci-fi... My brain said to me, brain, it said. Aliens? Xenomorph meets yeah. Ceramorph. Oh, yeah. It just bursts out of your head instead of your stomach. It claws its way in through your nostril cavity and lays its egg in your brain. Yes. Yes, I'm totally down with that. We're going to make that monster. Somebody needs to make that monster. That is awesome. That's like the ultimate flesh. What is it? The brain-eating amoeba? Yeah. That's the ultimate version of that. Yeah. Have you ever experienced a flesh-eating amoeba? Or perhaps you're a xenomorph. Write to us. Info at goblinscorner.com, or you can reach me, eric at goblinscorner.com. Or, or me, matt at goblinscorner.com. And of course, you may find us on all the things. I love your segues, man. <laughs> it's just the most random segues, right? <laughs> sure. I, look, I can, I can do this all day. Yep. All right. So we're talking about custom monsters. And of course, these are just some hilarious and stupid examples we made up on the fly. But... We do have some rules about custom monsters. Let's throw up some quotation yeah. marks. 
Now, rules. It should be said that we never adhere to our own rules. We don't. No, absolutely <laughs> not. The biggest rule we have is: is it amusing to us, and right. does it freak out our players? Those are the only two rules you really need to know. Stats, life cycles, all that jazz need not apply. But right. we understand that many of you want to write custom monsters for books, sure. or you want to play some custom monsters given whatever game you're playing, and you need some storyline rules, some standard creation rules. And we've come up with some of these. But first, why are we doing custom monsters in the first place, aside from the fact that it amuses us? And there's and, always that. And it does amuse us. Amuse me. I mean, the first reason is variety. We play with people who have been playing for decades and decades. So when you throw out a beastie and describe it as a spherical object that's floating with multiple tentacles, f- with eyes at the end of it, they go, everybody raise up your shields. It's a beholder. Yeah, it's a beholder. Yeah, they know. They, yeah. they know. They've seen every monster in the book. Yep. Yeah. But when you make your own, I... now you keep them on their toes. Yep. So, two. Flavor. We're all about that flavor. <laughs> Show people what the wor- what your world has to offer. Straight up. You are making a different story. You're running your own campaign or you're running from a module, which is right. another option. And if you are, then it's your world's not the same. You're going to put a different spin, no matter even if you're just reading off of a book. You, you know, that's why people play role-playing games. It's not if they wanted to read a book, they would go read a book. Sure. Want to watch a movie, they go or if they want to interact, they'd go play a game, like a video game. Right. It's that human element that you are adding to your story. And if you've if you're running a homebrewed campaign, you should have some homebrewed monsters in it. Absolutely. You don't want it to feel like a vanilla rewrite of Forgotten Realms or Dragonlance or anybody else, right? You want things that are one hundred percent your own. That players can be like, I had no idea what that was, and it was freaking terrifying. I'll give you an example. One of the earliest games I ever dungeon mastered back in the day, we went to they encountered a uh, bag of beans, and if you remember the old bag of beans, throw it on the ground, plant a bean, grows a little tree. All it's basically a wild surge in plant form, right? And because I was feeling froggy that day, maybe I had a couple Red Bulls or a couple drinks. <laughs> I had these little green rats with red eyes. Mm. Matt is smiling and nodding because yes. he's experienced these. This is where they came from. They were fire rats. And <laughs> somehow in my twisted brain, I, I, I made this up. When you crush them, they mimic a fireball spell. They would eep, fly a fireball spell out from their mouth and incinerate somebody. And if you bit their heads off and tossed them, they work like a grenade. Sure. And so I put them in my spell jamming campaign later on because they were the bane of existence in, in the phlogiston because the phlogiston is nothing but explosive gas. Right. And so if you, you're on a wooden ship, a magical wooden ship, but a wooden ship flying in a sea of gas and you step on a rat. Bad things. Bad things. There goes your ship. It's the reason before you ever leave the portal, you cast locate creature. And now that is flavor. <laughs> That is, I mean, if you step on one, you become the flavor. Yes. Or at the very least, you're the center of the fireball. Yeah. So why else custom monsters? Fit. Sometimes you just need something 
specific for a story. And if you've built this story around certain themes or certain ideas, something out of the monster manual just doesn't fit what you're looking for. Yeah. And so you got to put something together. And again, you're making something specific. You can give it a reason. Maybe you're writing a specific world or a specific town or a specific dungeon or even just a specific encounter, right? You got a big bad. Maybe the big bad's got something unique as well. Now you've got something that you can use to enhance that experience, that story. Sure. And finally, and again, we mentioned this before. It's fun. It's just fun. It's fun. <laughs> oh, man, I love making monsters. I literally could do this all day. And we have... And have on and occasion. We have. <laughs> and honestly, for the ludicrous bestiary one and two, Matt and I came up with a couple ideas, kind of telling you guys how the donuts get made. But we also sat around, we had a drink, and we literally, in the span of an hour maybe, maybe not even that much, wrote down like 5, 10, 15, 20 other monsters. Yeah, there were there were a whole lot that we were... Didn't make the The cut. problem is because once we get started... Nobody wants to listen for a four-hour session of us just making up monsters. Right. And if you do, hit us up. We'll jump on Twitch sure. and just literally make monsters up on the fly. But this was something... It's fun to make monsters. Yeah. It's fun to storyboard... Look, we talk about a lot of heavy subjects. I mean, Jesus, we talk about governments and games. I didn't, and I had to swallow. I was tough, man. I, I, it's tough for me. It's tough, but this stuff is great. Yeah, this is the break that you, as a DM or a GM or storyteller, have to fit stuff into your world and have fun with it. It also makes a great side quest, right? Like if if you've been planning this epic adventure and you need a break, okay. Side quest, you guys have been sent by whoever your primary contact is to deal with this thing that is marauding across the hillsides and let your players deal with it. Now, for those of you who are thinking, I can't come up with a monster on my own, it's going to be ridiculous. I say to you, look at the flumph. <laughs> you think you are worried about being ridiculous in a game, look at the fucking flumph. It's a goddamn pancake that's a mushroom that's psionic and telepathic. It's nice. It's got a little smiley face. Looks like a floating jellyfish, sort of. It's a goddamn flump. Like, it's and the by the way, spaghetti monster. it is the flying spaghetti monster as a D&D critter. Yep. And that's not even the most ridiculous one I could come up with. That's just one out of like first and second edition. And of course, now fifth now, but like. It's good. It's good to have them back. It's, I'm, you know what? Everybody loves a flump. And let me tell you something. You kill a flump, you're going to hell. I'm just telling you right now. Don't be killing no flumps. I'm going to make a t-shirt that says that too. You kill, kill a flump, flump you go, go to hell. hell. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe say Acheron. <laughs> and the only nerds that get that are like, oh, I get that one. Ha ha. So how can we make some custom monsters, Matt? Got three options. The first one is the simple, right? It It's damn near cheating. What's the simple option? Just... Take a monster that does the things you want it to do mm -hmm. and reskin it. Just paint a new picture for it. That's so, all you need. So you make something that looks like a goblin, call it something other than a goblin, maybe make it red instead of blue. Or literally... They're actually blue goblins, by the way. Sure. They're psionic. They're delightful. Back when psionics was a thing. Blues are cool, yeah. We want more... We want, you know what? I want psionics. Sorry, I'm going to... We're going to go on a tangent, and I'm going to get mad. We're not. 
We're not going on a tangent. We're talking about reskinning monsters. That's true. Okay, so if you've got, tell you what, Wild Beyond the Wishlight came out, right? You're in a fey world. You want something absolutely ludicrous. So what this you do? Is the perfect place for it. What you do is you take uh, what a spectator. That's one of the foot the. Football. Soccer slash football sized beholder, yeah, beholders, and yeah, they only got okay. a couple eyes, so I think five or six, yeah. Except now it's a squirrel, yeah. You literally take all of the stats and everything, and then stick it on a squirrel skin, and just be like, "Hmm, this squirrel seems odd to you, and why is it floating?" Because it has a gaze attack. Yeah, no, that's cool. I love that. So that's the simplest method. Literally, grab a stat block monster, make it make its form different or make its abilities different, something like that. Now we go to the next easiest, which is the medium. Right. And this is what we call modification. Yeah. Again, this honestly is just as easy as the simplest version of the reskin. But now you find something that is similar to what you're going for, and then maybe build up from that. So maybe give us an example, Matt. Okay. So in your world... You are playing towards more fa- like traditional fanny- fantasy-based concepts, right? So, dark elves are Norse versions of dark elves. So you take a normal dark elf stat block, but now you give them the ability to make magic weapons. You give them the ability to innately cast extra different spells more spells that you might consider that like dwarves might have like stone work or uh stone shape and mold earth and stuff like that okay because they are elves that actually innately come from underground not dwar- not elves that escaped underground sure that is modifying what would normally be a base stat block you're just changing it to fit your story or your campaign or your themes and if you're kind of unsure about the themes examine what you're doing in your storyline how can you fit them in environmentally and we'll talk a little bit more about running a monster custom monster but that's really what it comes down to like where are you going to stick them sure and why are they there is it magic well magic solves all the problems (laughs) that is true i mean if you can't figure it out that's okay. That's that's why Owlbear is Crazy Wizard did it. Crazy Wizard. And when he's, all else fails, he's all, blame the Crazy Wizard. He's hopped up on some on some magic mushrooms. He's running around in the forest, just randomly mashing animals together with magic. And that's how you get the fro- the frog pig. <laughs> the frig? Yeah, the frig. The f- there we go. Frog pig. Or the fror. The boar and the frog. Sure. A spined, snouted frog with a long tongue. Or the tour. Oh, the tour. Mr. Toad and the boar. Yeah, man. You know, I got some Mr. Toad love. That's how it goes. Now, finally, you can do the hardest. What we say hardest version is just what? Whole cloth it. Whole cloth it. Make it up from scratch. This is hardest mostly because you need to have a solid grasp of balance and mechanics in your game. Right. At lower levels, it's less hard. Because pretty much everything is crunchy and... You know, as long as you don't give it too many abilities or too many hit points, you're fine. When it gets to be 
and we're talking D and D here, but like more like pre epic or mid level or even in, in other game Pathfinder, systems. Yeah, it, Pathfinder. Well, not just any, anything with a leveled system. Creating a monster whole cloth at lower levels is easier than at higher levels because at lower levels it's a nuisance, potentially an adversary, but mostly amusing. Right. At least how we play. You get higher levels, you're going to start tacking on more abilities, or at least make it beefier, make it more. Um, I don't know, more, more terrifying. Uh, yeah, more terrifying, <laughs> more of an assailant, and and then it becomes a potential threat. You could TPK your entire party. Right. You and, don't want to do that unless having you some, want to do that. Right. Having some idea of how to balance homebrewed creatures helps. Now, if you are creating things whole cloth along the way, that actually helps because you build the concepts of those balance as you go. Yes. So I would suggest, and probably you would as well, even if you're a starting DM with a starting campaign, create a couple of monsters as you go and throw them in front of you, even if they're meant to be exploded by your party. It doesn't matter. It's totally fine. You'll get to see what the balance of those creatures are. And if you continue to do this as your players level up, then your concept of balance and mechanics will also increase as you go instead of waiting until their 20th level. And, and now, you're, now you're trying to figure out what will actually challenge them and either they explode it and it's not a speed bump to them or you accidentally murder your whole party. And we've done both actually. And that's actually a great way to look at it, too, because it allows you to judge the capability of your players. And honestly, when you're when you're DMing and you're throwing some stuff, the suggested rules, no matter what game you're playing, will, will say, well, you need this many monsters of this level. Right. You know, the people we play with, sometimes that is, they just Woefully tear. inadequate. Yeah, and sometimes if it's something particularly challenging, like maybe it's not just direct combat or damage, or they've got a way around it, Sometimes it ends up like really screwing them up. Sure. And so you need to know how your players play and you'll get a sense of that balance. Now, you may be asking yourself, self, how, how do I come up with an inspiration? Well, don't worry. I've got a pro tip for you guys. And it's really easy. You see, nature is fucked up. And all you need to do is turn on National Geographic or go onto YouTube, go look on the web. There are some ridiculous animals already in existence. Like right now. It's true. There, there are some freaky... Like, you ever see a sea cucumber, guys? Tardigrade. It, oh, the tardigrade is awesome. Yeah, little, the water bears. The water bears are great, man. They can survive anything. But that, there's a good example, right? Um, The platypus... I mean, that's if that isn't a chimera, a venomous <laughs> egg birthed mammal. Sure, why yeah. not? Yeah, yeah. There's lots of weird. Go look at some deep sea stuff. Anything in the deep sea is ridiculously freakish. Yes, like the anglerfish with the huge teeth. And don't even get into the ecology of anglerfish. That's special and new. Oh, yeah, because the male is basically a parasite on the female. Yes. That's true, by the way, guys. Um, now, 
if you're looking for something a little bit more exotic, that's totally fine too. Yeah, just look I, up giant anteaters. Yes. Uh, well, all right. Tell us about the giant <laughs> anteater, Matt. Since <laughs> so, it's fun. They're dopey looking critters, right? They eat ants. You wouldn't normally think that something like that is dangerous, but it turns out that they can murk jaguars with a single punch. It's just what they do. They've got giant thumb claws that they use to break through concrete hard ant hills, and they just if the jaguar gets a little uh, little uppity and wants to give it a shot, then the anteater's just like, hey, here's a left hook, and now the ants have something to eat. Yeah, because he just eviscerated them. Yep. Yeah. Now, I will also say, final pro tip here, you're looking for inspiration, go look at paleontology. Sure. And I'm not even talking about dinosaurs, although dinosaurs are great. Sure. Look at the age of mammals mm. or the age of amphibians, those two in particular, because there are some ridiculous body shapes or anything in the um fi- like in the age during the age of trilobites and stuff like that right. like any of that stuff is super cool and the illustrations that people have drawn over the years of those typical eras in addition to dinosaurs of course you can definitely definitely make some fierce creatures and that stuff's real dude well the fun thing you can also do is just look at the skeleton like ignore the pictures that people created for them look at the skeletons and say what type of creature would fill out this skeleton absolutely and and then you got a different monster right there yeah so if you've ever seen the skeleton of a giant sloth freakish they look absolutely terrifying until you figure out until you know what it actually is so yeah, just ignore what it actually is and just look at the skeleton and flesh it out yourself. Yep. So what does it take to create a custom monster? Well, it turns out not really a whole lot. Yep. We've got a couple of things here. I would say the biggest thing first is a description. A good description. Yep. So what does this creature look like? That's it. What does it look like? Yeah. I mean, that is the first thing your players are going to that is the first thing your players are likely to encounter about a creature is what does it look like? If you're doing your job as a storyteller, you're going to bring a creature out. You're going to describe it or provide a visual aid. But what it looks like, what it sounds like, maybe even what it smells like, if you just want to describe that or you sure. happen to make candles for a living. I mean, hey, look, I don't know what you do for a living. You could. Yeah. But descriptions are the most important thing to players because they aren't seeing what's in your head. Right. How you describe it also determines whether they immediately enter combat, whether they run screaming from it, or... Whether or not they try and interact with it. Yeah, might come up and talk to it. Sure. And this could be any monster, right? Whether it's the humanoid-looking monsters or the slithering tentacles and such. Right. So, what helps with a description? Well, first, a brief blurb. Right. Because if you come around a corner, come face to... We'll go face, sure. With a monster. Face to, yeah, what have you. Face to unspeakable horror with a monster. <laughs> the first thing you're going to do is give a brief description. If you can provide visuals, if if you can draw, dope. We love you, and uh, I wish I was you, but I'm not. So <laughs> all I can do is give you the word picture. But Matt, if you can take two animals and say it looks like a cross between this and this and show it, 
that often is good enough as well. Stick figures work too. That's that's about the extent of my ability. There's Matt's artistic skill in a nutshell. So what does it sound like? Yeah. If you can do sound effects. Do it. Yeah. A little. Yeah. Sure, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, you can literally just make sound effects and then they have free programs. You can just make a sound with your make mouth. Make a soundboard. Yeah. And, and then just play it back or alter it so that it sounds like a monster. Sure. Or you just go find monster sounds too. There's, there's plenty of stuff online. I'm sure. And then of course, because you know, they're going to kill it. They're probably going to try to eat it. So what's it taste like? You know, they're going to try to eat it. Yeah. No, they are. Absolutely. Every time. Yep. Which by the way, I was thinking of your monster with the, uh, the skittering horror with the octopus body and, and, and limbs and such like that. Delicious. Delicious. It's crab and octopus in one. Right. I mean, so good. Throw that. So good. Throw that puppy in a boiler. Call it. Fry it up. Batter it and fry it. I'm done. I'll take that. A sushi. Yep. I mean, or sous vide it. Oh God, it's, it's all so, going to be good. So many ways. <laughs> Are we the only people who think about eating monsters? Absolutely not. We not. can't be. Do you guys think about eating monsters? Let us know. Let us know. Have you written a cookbook about fantasy monsters? Let us know. Are you going to write a cookbook about it? I will, sure. If it doesn't exist, you need to write a cookbook on fantasy monsters, on how to barbecue them properly. What is the monster exactly? Let's explain a little bit of that. Okay, so what makes it different from a standard issue monster or creature? Now, this is important to think about because even an animal, just a straight-up natural beast, has specific qualities. A squirrel, for example, is an asshole that climbs and tries to get into my house. They've got particular features. Well, feature one is that it's an animal, which means it's subject to speak with animals. Yes. So knowing what type of creature it is has a huge effect. And and depending upon your game, those categories can be different too. Sure. Some of them, sometimes they're beasts, sometimes they're animals. So animal, vegetable, mineral, is it an undead, an elemental is it a spirit? Is it a celestial? Celestial, theme? yeah. Sure. Dinosaur? Is a dinosaur different from a regular animal? Who knows, right? Could be an aberration. Yeah, you you need to know that because your player's abilities will interact with it differently depending on what it is. And 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 then again, also whatever your campaign happens to have or need at the time could determine how you sort of structure that beast. Sure. If you are, if your campaign is based around a Aboleth Lich. Sure. Right? Oh, that's a. <laughs> yeah, I'm a terrible person. That, sm- I that, that. that smells like Dale Trout. And that undead Aboleth. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's just. I accept that I'm a bad oh, person. That's fine. Well, they're wandering into the cavern. The paladin dies from exhaustion because he's been trudging through the earth and he just, he's stuck in the sludge and it smells like a cistern. Sure. Anything to kill the paladin. I mean, (laughs) especially if he can drown. Now the wizard's fine because, you know, he's got prestidigitation, baby. Right. And he just loves to clean. Yeah. Fixes everything. So. If if you have an Aboleth Lich. (laughs) You're still thinking about that dead paladin, aren't you? Oddly enough. (laughs) Most of its 
minions are probably going to be aberrations or undead or undead aberrations. Some kind of monstrosities of some sort. Right. Yeah. So think about that. And and by the way, this can all be in your head or written down someplace. The characters don't necessarily need to know any of this. They're more concerned about the, the description. Right. But if they do some kind of lore check, whatever that happens to be in your game. Sure. Then you're going to need to provide some information. So bullet point some of this stuff. Again, you don't have to do an entire documentary on this. You know, David Attenborough is not going to come calling and being and here like, we have and here we have the Abolith Lich. The undead Abolith. Now that you've got your brief description and know what it is, now you need to know how it deals with combat. Yeah. So what are its attacks and defenses? First thing to think about. Sure. Does it flail with its tentacles? Does it just stink you to death? Talking about undead Abolith there. I mean, it could. Does it have specific abilities unique to the creature itself? Most most creatures have some kind of weapon attack unless they're just defenseless. So sure. it might have claws and a bite or a wing attack or a tail slap or something. I mean, maybe. Maybe. I mean, there, there are creatures f- that simply don't need it. That's true. The flump just kills you with kindness, brother. Technically, a beholder can bite you, but it that's not really its form of attack. No, it, I mean, it's got a laser blast. Right. It's, this is, it's a laser monster. Uh, yeah, so now these attacks and defenses are unique to the monster, but they don't have to play into the ecology or even the description of the creature. And this is where you put a different spin on things. Right. So we'll go back to that floating squirrel with the beholder stats that you were talking about earlier. Sure. You see a floating squirrel, everyone's like, cool, it's a floating squirrel. Of course it is. And then it disintegrates you. Well, I mean, you probably had it coming. You did. You're an adventurer. You did something. And it's a squirrel, so it's an asshole. And then it goes and destroys my house. But that is something, first off, that is awesome. Yeah. Two, that is comical. Three... That is exactly the unexpected type of stuff that we would expect in our campaign, at least. Right. But that's definitely something going to give your characters pause. I will never be able to put a floating squirrel in the campaign because Eric's mind will just start I will dive. Worrying. My characters will dive immediately. I see a floating squirrel. I'm out. <laughs> see you guys later. <laughs> All right. We're going to talk a little bit more about custom monsters, but we'll be right back. After these messages. If there are any topics you would like us to cover, goods or services you would like us to review, or if you would like to sponsor an episode, we would love for you to contact us at info at goblinscorner.com. And we're back. Welcome back. So we're talking about custom monsters. Oh, yeah. And we were going into the specific combat descriptions of your custom monster. And as we mentioned from our floating squirrel example, surprise them, have those special attacks. And again, it doesn't have to play into the ecology of the creature or even the ecology of any other creature. Sure. It be out of the blue, but sometimes it makes sense to give a reason for why that creature has that particular behavior or special attack or ability. We also have to discuss, like, are all of your creatures special features Related to combat, or are they more of a 
jack of all trades great type creature. Yeah. So is it a one trick pony? Does it have multiple abilities? Or is there some kind of mix in between of that? So we go back to the beholder. Obviously, I raise. Guess what? That's a, that's its deal. It is a multiple trick pony, but it's all based off of the same trick. Yeah, off of one concept. Whereas mind flares, different types of abilities. Sure. They're smart and they can do other things. So different in its in its league, right? Different ways to get around stuff like that. Um, another thing to consider also, movement-based attacks. Right. Like, how does it move? What are its movement, either attacks or defenses? So can it teleport? Can it do flyby attack? Flyby attack? Can it run really fast? Can it jump or brachiate? You know, those are very important things to consider. And sometimes that's just the special attacks. Yeah. I mean, can your, can your beholder squirrel do a strafing run? We need to know these things. Yeah. I mean, if it can float through the earth... That's even scary, right? It just pops out of the ground or out of a tree. Sure. A Zorn holder. Oh, God. What if it just like tree phase? It just pops out of a tree, chitters at you once, vaporizes you and your house, but only the roof. And then it can nest in your roof. Add squirrels to my roof, guys, if you haven't guessed. He's not bitter, though. I'm not bitter at all. It only took me, you know, 14 grand to fix. Physical related. Is it really strong or dexterous? Or just tough. Yeah, maybe it's just a hard thing this to thing kill. Just like standing there while you beat on it. You just like, beating it with a stick and it's just laughing at you the whole time. Who knows? That is also something to consider. Does it heal? Yeah, is it like a troll? Does it regenerate? You toss it into cubes and it'll still grow back. Does it have any type of energy-based attacks like fire, or water, all that sort of thing? A six-demon bag? Yeah, no, I knew. You yeah. couldn't resist it. Now, and then we're going to going back to healing real quick. Does it have any weaknesses as well? Sure. Is it vulnerable to a specific element or it's vulnerable to, I don't know, to cold iron, for example, like in the case of Fey? Right. You know, oftentimes if something is fire-based, it's vulnerable to cold or vice versa, what sure. have you. So that's something to think about. Or do you just not want to do that? This thing chucks fire all day, but it's not actually based out of fire. So it doesn't take extra damage to cold. You hit it with a freeze ray and it just laughs at you. It's like, well, that hurt just as much as anything else would. Mm -hmm. And that would be a nice curveball to throw at players as well. I'll give you an example. Maybe uh, you have a custom undead creature that you're putting together. And, you know, it used to be, what is it, uh, positive energy used to hurt undead in D&D 3. Right. But now it's radiant. Right. Well, maybe this undead isn't hurt by radiant anymore. At all. At all, yeah. Maybe it's just like it shrugs it off. It's like, fuck you, man. I don't give a shit about your... (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't care about your radiant damage. It's, I'm going to go lay in my dirt grave. It's so dark. I'm going to bite off your face. So dark that even light can't bother. Yeah, it's 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 ultra black. It, doesn't, it just sucks in the light. But maybe it's hurt by something else. That's a great curveball to throw at players when they think they've got the vulnerability, but they're completely wrong. Yeah, because you made an assumption. Yeah. Does it have mental or emotional abilities sure like i mean sure the obvious one is can it deal psychic damage but does it fear does it charm does it make you really sad yeah does it caught uh go D &D thing does it cast tasha's hideous Hideous laughter laughter. yeah just makes you laugh to death out of his irresistible dance you just gotta feel like you got a river dance all day long man you can dance if you want to that's true that's, that's as far as we can go on that. Yeah. Um, Does it have time or spatial powers? Sure. 
So we mentioned teleportation, but also stuff like, does it exist in maybe one or two dimensions, like maybe go flat? Or does it exist in dimensions that we don't understand? Talk sci-fi stuff, right? Sure. Maybe it's a fifth dimensional being or something like that. That's a fun concept for a monster. This horrible thing that just, you can't even, you can't even describe it because all you're seeing is the three-dimensional analog for its fifth-dimensional shape. Yeah, all you get is the outline. Yeah. It's just a skewed geometry as it just grips you and tears you, pulls you through unseen spaces in time and space, and just tears you asunder on an atomic level. Just like shadows creeping along the wall from where it's kind of in this dimension. <laughs> that's awesome just enough to force the light to go around its physical form in another dimension and then it plants a fifth dimensional egg in your third dimensional Angel's body <laughs> yeah burst, burst forth yeah. yeah and finally does it have some kind of archetype like a class maybe it's a fighter sure. or a wizard maybe some kind of skill that the monster possesses maybe Roguish tendencies run rampant in this particular creature. And the easiest way to upgrade an existing monster is to give it class levels. Absolutely. Every time. You want to make something that tends to be squishy, like use a kobold as an example, right? Now they're player characters too, but you know, say you got a a nest of kobolds just chilling in their kobold cave. Yeah. Adventures roll through, wipe them out. Fifth level comes along, they come back, the kobolds have reproduced because they breed quickly right wipes them out they come back they're 10th level now the kobolds are are there but there's that one kobold that's sitting in the back and he time stops right and they wreck you and now you don't mess with the kobolds anymore because now you have been decimated by the kobolds yeah could happen and that's why you don't mess with kobolds time stop the kobold literally just puts all the other kobolds surrounding the characters. All the kobolds have ta- pack tactics because they do. Mm-hmm. And then he just stops the time stop and then trip. Advantage, 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 trip, advantage, advantage. advantage. <laughs> it's just, it only takes one. Yep. One kobold to be mad enough that you wiped him out twice to spend a few class levels to destroy your party. Sure. Well, I mean, time stops a little more than a few. Yeah, fair enough. But, but yeah. whatever. whatever. It could be something else. So, talking about combat, what happens when you hit it or it hits you? So, what are its actions in combat? Sure. So, does it have specific combat modes, right? Does it have aerial assault or water strikes or extra attacks? Like, what? what is its methodology? Yeah. Now, if it's multiple limbed, it might have multiple attacks. That makes sense. Sure. But what if it's not multiple limbs? It's got like, you know, humanoid shape. Multiple attacks makes it much more deadly than just a standard slam attack or bite you. So it could just be very fast. Yep. So what if your kobold, we're going to take your kobold as an example, right? Okay. But instead of it casting time stop, it's part quickly. Ooh, that's fun. Now he looks like another kobold, but this thing just zipped in between your party. He's already gigged your wizard by the time you realize that things have already started to turn. He's already stolen the paladin's purse. 
He's climbed up on top of the rogue and is currently carving his eyes out. Sure. The druid's running. He's in the shape of a small sparrow, but luckily there's a kobold down the hallway. He's got an arrow knocked on him. Yeah. I mean, they've thought it out, guys. And all he has to do is face the fighter. The fighter's rapidly realizing that he's not going to get a strike in. Yeah. Bad days. Bad Bad days. days. There you go. Now, what is important in most combat situations that Matt and I have run is most combats, I say most, generally the first couple of rounds are really the most important tactically that you need to think about in terms of your monster. What do they do? Well, what you really need to have is a one to, depending on how beefy the creature is, one to five rounds. Yeah. If it's extremely beefy, five rounds is probably good. If it's, if they're just fodder, you really need to have the first round planned with the assumption that half of these things are going to be dead for round two. Yeah. And a good way to look at it also is, is how intelligent or how powerful it is from a tactics perspective. So we'll use an undead, like a, like a zombie or something like that. What's the zombie going to do? Slam it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's going it's to walk up to you. It's going to groan. It's going to try to bite your face off. Sure. Now, if it's a special zombie, let's say it's got like a special attack, he might groan, run up to you, bite your face off in round one. Round two might do a special attack. Round three might bite your face off, right? Or some variation of those tactics. And that's a very simple way to run it. The more abilities or the more powerful the monster is, the more they might vary those tactics in the first couple of rounds. After that point, though, after like round four or five, they're going to do some variation of that. And dragons are a great example of that, right? Dragons will come in, hit you with the breath weapon, you know, t- tenderize you a little bit. Sure. You, you know, Soften the, you up. Yeah, while the paladin's nice and crispy, he then uses round two to peel him open and eat the delicious meat inside or bite, wing claw, buffet. Claw, claw, bite, wing buffet, tail there slap. There you go. <laughs> round three and four, if, if you still aren't dead, he's either going to attack, maybe use some kind of spell because they can cast spells. Usually, unless that it's is, a white dragon. It's, no, it's an optional. Dragons casting spells in fifth and fifth edition is optional. That's never optional in my game. Never, but <laughs> it is an optional rule. Sure, and this is D and D too. Other games they cast spells or sure. do whatever. Anyhow, yeah. So think of that combat tactic and understand that depending on the type of creature you're discussing. Its brain determines its tactics, not just its abilities. For example, the dragon, right? Is it wise to land and start attempting to go melee with creatures if you have spells and a breath weapon available to you? Probably not. No, but dragons traditionally are very arrogant and they like to get in there. They like to rend and tear. And so that arrogance precludes their ability to do smarter things. Yes. Now, so, Mind Flare, Mind Flare might just charm somebody else to go do the dirty work for it. Yeah, they are absolutely not jumping into no. physical combat. That's If they can't subdue you with their psionic abilities, they're going to go find some other way to do it. They might do some sonics, some spells, or send some... Like you said, dominate somebody else. Yeah. He didn't respond to my mental attack. You go kill him. That's fine. Long range versus melee combat. 
Are they long-range fighters? Are they melee fighters? We've been talking about the dragon. Sometimes they're both. Are they mindless versus they have planned coordinated attacks? Like, do they attack the nearest thing or do they attack the most efficient thing? Or do they attack the most obvious threat? Right. Now, depending upon the intelligence of the monster, they might look at the most heavily armed creature as the most obvious threat. Or they might look at the guy without any armor, traveling with a bunch of other people in armor, and go, why is that guy not wearing any armor? Oh, he's got a spell book. Kill him first, yeah. and then the cleric. That's true. And sometimes it's the cleric first, but usually it's the wizard first, I would say. That's true. But the problem is, is if you kill the wizard first, and the cleric just heals him, now you still have a healed a, wizard yeah, and a cleric. It's a catch-22, man. It really depends on how you murder him. Now, that's why fireball exists. You kill both of them at the same time. In fact. Because neither of them have good reflex saves. <laughs> what happens when it's winning? Does it gloat? Does it showboat? Does it monologue? Yeah, I mean, will it even let the party go to spread news of its mastery? Yeah. Or what, you know, by the same token, what happens when it's losing? Yeah. Will, will it, it fight to the death or just... Uh, high tail, yeah. Good to know. Now, when you're thinking of monsters, we have to talk about social aspects as well. Because if it's intelligent, you can talk to it. Can you sex up the monster? You need to know these things. Can because the monster sex you up? <laughs> will the bard will the bard inevitably try to sleep with it? Right. Or the warlock. As or you, the warlock. Or the warlock. As you know, I mean, that's how sorcerers are created, man. Exactly. <laughs> Warlocks make sorcerers, sorcerers make bards, bards make warlocks. Yeah, that sounds good. The cycle of life completes. Can you interact with the monster aside from hitting it? Very important. If it's a mindless creature, probably not. If it's an evil creature, sometimes. Sometimes. If it's intelligent, there's always the possibility that you can interact with it. And depending upon how you play your game, if you're a bunch of murder hobos or if you're a bunch of socialites and you want to roleplay this stuff, there is just the same amount of experience in stopping a monster from slaying you right as it is from killing it yeah the the actual wording is and people get into this argument all the time but in a lot of games it is defeating the encounter it is not slaying the monster the object is to defeat the encounter if you make them an ally you have defeated the encounter if you scare them off you have defeated the encounter if you beat it in chess you've defeated the mon like if it, it literally if there's yeah. a sphinx there it's like i'm not gonna let you pass you could murder it you could try right you're in for a fight you could sneak around it that's just as good or you could literally say i've got a contest of riddles how cool is that sure and you win in the contest of riddles it's like you know what you've got a balling intellect Go ahead, brother. Yeah. You can do it. Like, that is a fun way. That's why it's called a role-playing game, guys. Right. Otherwise, it'd be a video game where you just bash stuff in. It'd be bonk. It'd be, yeah, it really would. It'd be bonk. Does it have a social structure? Most things do, including animals. Yes. So, even if it's just a simple, you know, dominant, submissive animal structure, but the more intelligent, theoretically, means the higher social structures it has. It may not. Right. But if it's has some kind of 
intelligence, then it should be potentially civilized as well. And that also means that does it have a morality? Right. What's, what's its outlook on life in general? What's its outlook on the world and other cultures? Yeah. Does it hate certain things? Does it like certain things? Does it have aspirations, long-term or short-term goals? Yeah. That's a fun thing to consider in a monster. What if my Aboleth, my undead Aboleth, wants to become a teacher? Wants to learn everything and teach it to the multiverse? And will do anything in its power to acquire that intelligence, which is why it's evil. What if your murder hobos kill a group of goblins on the road, loot them, only to realize that they've got pamphlets for Aboleth University and they were just students trying to, trying to go to school. Oh, you got a trying to go to quandary on your hands, my friends. That's what happens. Paladin's like, oh, there goes my oath. <laughs> Snap. Yeah, there goes all my powers. Yeah, that sucks. You got nothing, got Jack. nothing, yeah. What are their motivations, needs, wants, or even dislikes? Yeah. Anything. Uh, is there anything taboo? Oh, yeah. Right, because different... Different cultures have different taboos. And yeah, goblins may not like fluorescent green liquid. I'm, I'm, making, I'm sure they, they do. No, totally that's a, love, that's a terrible love, like, example. Yeah, I love fluorescent green liquid. But I'm just saying, like, there might be something they don't like. Horses. They paisley. don't like horses. Paisley. I don't think goblins like paisley. Goblins hate paisley. They will attack anything with paisley. So <laughs> that's kind of fun. Finally... The ecology of the creature, and this is more of like a naturalistic type setting as well. A, where does it live? Sure. Has it adapted to its environment? If it has. Yeah. Is it a, is it a magical creation and it just is there because it's there? Or is it the result of years of evolution or, you know, magical sci-fi or otherwise? Right. Or a combination, right? What if it was a magical, a, a magical sci-fi creation, whatever? that has begun to adapt to its environment, like the snowy owlbear. That would be cool. Yeah. What's it eat? Why does it live where it does? Is there a reason it's hanging out there? Is it the radiation? The beach? Maybe it likes to catch fish? Sure. Something. Yeah. What does its lair or home look like? Mm-hmm. What's it do? Like, where's it hang out? Some of the best iconic monsters in many different games you can recognize those monsters by the layers more so than the descriptions of the creatures i give you an example you come upon a cavern glittering in gems and jewels there's a big pile of them in the center <laughs> roll your reflex save against fire damage you know what i'm saying yeah. like that or if you see a bunch of corridors and they're in a three-dimensional array and they're oddly shaped spherical even or cylindrical guess what you're in a beholder hive yeah, yeah I'm, right. I'm good oh, i'll see you guys later those are things that you need to consider in this part of description as well it could be a squirrel warren though oh yeah yeah squirrel zorn the squirrel holder yeah squirrel holder oh. it's destroying roofs everywhere where is it in relation to other monsters, cities, or geographical regions, right? Uh, so things that are scavengers will probably live closer to cities, whereas giant beasts will probably live further away. Yeah. Because 
something that is truly horrendous will get hunted down by a society if it presents a threat to that society. Yeah. And does its ecology influence the way it makes decisions as well? Sure. It may be nomadic because it has no choice. It may think differently because it lives underwater. All of these things factor into making your monster. And again, you don't need to use every single thing we've come up with to make this monster, but all of this adds storytelling elements for your campaign, no matter what campaign it is. You could have uh, something just occurred to me. Does its ecology influence how the monster makes decisions? So something that is reptilian and cold-blooded in the heat of the heat of the day makes different decisions than it does in the cool of the night. That would be cool. Right. I mean, that's, that is truly how lizards react. Well, think about a metabolism based right. encounter as well. Maybe you come upon the monster and it's hungry and it reacts completely differently. Like a vampire vampire hasn't fed goes crazy, right? Right. Can't reason with him. He wants, he wants your blood after the vampire is fed. Acts like a person. Yeah. Maybe your monster is very similar. It doesn't have to be blood. It could be anything. Right. But the thing is, is if it is a monster that is just hungry and you feed it. Now it's a social encounter. Now it's a social encounter. Yeah, that's cool. So again, think about when you're making these monsters. Now, when it comes to running them, we have a couple of ideas as well. The biggest question we get oftentimes is, how do you drop a custom monster into your campaign? Well, there's a bunch of different options. The first one is you literally just drop it in. Yeah, it's, here you go. Here's the description. There's your monster. Random encounter has been randomly encountered. And if you've never done this, it might feel weird at first, but honestly, it's totally fine. Just do it. It is literally no different than your player's going around the corner and bumping face-to-face into any other type of random monster. Yep. Now, you can drop a hint, and this is a little bit of foreshadowing if you want, and that's kind of fun. Most people don't think ahead of time to foreshadow, but if you're the type of storyteller that writes stuff down and you want to like play multiple games out, maybe you're looking to have this monster be a major encounter or something like that, dropping a hint is a great way to do that as well. Yeah, just... Write out a couple of little blurbs, and as they get closer to it, read out the blurbs and see how long it takes them to notice. Yeah. (laughs) You can make it an object of a quest. Sure. And that's a lot of fun as well. And that still does not have to be a combat encounter. No. This could be, go back to the Sphinx again, right? Maybe you got to get from point A to point B. Maybe along that road, you got to talk to the Sphinx to get the key to get to the next step. Sure. That doesn't mean killing it. This means talking to it, dealing with its riddles. And finally, you can make it the big bad. Straight up, it is it is the big bad. They know about it, or they encounter it at the end of an adventure. Yeah. And that can be reoccurring villains. That can be some kind of legendary creature. And having a legend or a story told by an NPC about the monster is a great way to get characters interested in the monster. Yeah, it's the Jersey Devil. Yeah, they're sitting around a bar talking about whatever, and one of the local farm guys is like, let me tell you about this crazy thing 
called the Squirrel Holder. <laughs> Floats in the air. Looks like a regular squirrel till it vaporizes your roof. Nests in it. There you go. That's it. There you go. Damn, I got to find this floating squirrel. How cool is that? Well, then you've got to play the creature once it's Right. Once the encounter has started, now you've got to be that creature. Yeah. So think about, again, we're talking about combat already, but think about its tactics. Give it some tactics. Give it a reason to do the things it does. Right. And if it doesn't have tactics, don't give it tactics. Yeah. Just make it attack the nearest thing. If it is, if it is a dumb brute, allow it to be a dumb brute. Mm-hmm. If it's smart, play on its strengths and its weaknesses. Sure. I mean, that's pretty simple. How does it relate to the party? That's something you need to think about. Will it be friendly initially? Will it attack immediately? Will it associate with other monsters? Or will it associate with the PCs? Yeah. So could it actually be interacted with? We talked about socially. This is something that you can easily run. This could just be another NPC that you create. It just happens to be a monster. Right. Is it even a potential ally? And and, yeah, and this is something that you don't see enough of, especially with newer storytellers, where they're like, these are monsters, these are NPCs, nah, nah, nah. You're, you're writing a fantasy or a sci-fi world. I mean, let's face it. Any make-believe story, they can be anything. The NPCs, the humanoid NPCs could be the monsters, just as much as the freakishly weird monsters could be the monsters. Have you seen the world outside? Yeah. Sometimes Humanoids can be monsters. It can be, definitely be monsters. It sucks. So how can you incorporate them into the world in fun and unique ways? They could be as varied in their opinions as people. You might come across this intelligent owlbear that sits down, has a cup of tea for you, talks about, you know, just different things going on in the realms. Next time you meet one, it tears off your face. Sure. And that can happen. Certainly. Finally, how is the monster in the world when you're running it in the world? We talked about the ecology, talked about its its you know its beliefs, its social you know its socialization and such like that. Does the world change because this monster exists? Though, does it have an impact on the world? A great example is like possibly the most classic D and D example is. The terrorist shows up. Okay. Right. That is a world changing event. Yeah. That's, that is literally an event. That's not just a monster. That's an event because the terrorist eats everything. Right. Tears up trees and eats them. Yeah. It's just, it is destruction incarnate. So how does that affect the world? Well, you got a terrorist kingdom away. (laughs) Refugees are flooding in because it's just eating everything in sight. Yeah. And they expect that. After about a month or two, it's going to get sleepy. Go find a place to bury itself. So everyone's just kind of But is that going to happen before it gets to your kingdom? Never know. Right. Could change directions like a typhoon. How do other people or creatures view it? With the Tarrasque, right, it is a a walking force of nature. Generally, people view a hurricane as a hurricane. (laughs) Yeah. What does it symbolically embody? Right. So we use an example, uh, shields. Sure. So people have- Heraldry. Yeah, heraldry. People have griffins on some of their heralds. 
Some right. people have deer, you know, like the big antlers and stuff like that. I'm thinking, yeah. I'm mostly thinking Game of Thrones. So, sure. so you get the boar, the stag. Lions. Yeah. Those are, those symbolize strength or whatnot. Right. Now, and in a world where fantasy creatures exist. They might embody something like that as well. Yeah, that so makes you, sense. You might literally have a griffin represent, say, freedom and fast death. Sure. The Tarrasque, right? If you are a family that is known for utterly destroying your foes. You might have the Tarrasque. You might have the Tarrasque as a symbol on your, yeah, just. Sure. Yeah. So to think about that, that is a cool way to add monsters and lore into your campaign as well. So now they're not just monsters. Now they're symbols. And that matters. That matters a lot. Yeah. Because just think about the standard animals. We have like Zodiac signs and, you know, your spirit animal and shit like that. Like all of that applies in a magical or sci-fi world as well. But now you've got, I'd say, a bigger palette to choose from at this point. Sure. Because when you've got harpies flying around and dragging people off to their death, what does that mean? Right. And also, let's say, for example... There's, there's a couple of things here. One of them, if I'm a town guard and I see a group of people roll up and they've got a bunch of beholders on their shields, mm-hmm. zero trust, none. Yeah. I don't trust these yeah, guys for anything. Because they're called eye tyrants. Right. So they either are cultists of beholders, potentially. Sure. Or the shield symbolizes maybe the tyrannical outlook of a beholder. Right. Or they are ocular adepts of some sort. They like race bells. But by the same token, if your family has a griffin as their crest, maybe you don't go griffin hunting on their lands? Maybe that's something you don't do. It might be taboo. It might not. But it's definitely something you should bring up. should ask first. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, absolutely. When we're talking about monsters in the world as well, finally, and this is always a fun one for storytellers as well, are there there mutations? Yeah. Are there mutants? Absolutely. So you've got your standard- yes. Of course. You've got your standard floating squirrel that vaporizes things. Maybe one out of a hundred doesn't vaporize your house. It just turns it into a giant acorn. Sure. Or you into a giant acorn. Polymorph any object, now you're an acorn. You grow a mighty oak. So that would be awful. That would suck. But what if instead of disintegration... It plants an egg inside your skull and another squirrel bursts forth? Also a cool idea. (laughs) Not where I was going at all, but I like it. So, fabricate. I'm listening. (laughs) I want to hear this out. So instead of destroying your house so that they can move in they just fabricate a fucking door oh no it just it breaks your house down to the component parts no no they literally just mm, i need a doorway and now that i'm here let's uh let's put some shelves over here and and then they move into your attic oh, and they no, literally an interior, move into your attic it's an interior decorator that's terrible it'd be awful come back all the furniture's changed around that's even worse than getting in my attic or you're walking through the forest and the trees are still alive, 
put her in like perfect shape little squirrel sized bungalows and you've all got sorts a, of random Squirrel-topia. Crap. yeah just and they're all just staring at you with their dead eyes chittering at you madly cussing you out twitching their little tails yeah little bastards so there you have it some ideas that you can use to create your own custom monsters insert them in the world that you have give them a little bit of a mythos some tactics and of course descriptions 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 sure all the descriptions did we miss something write to us info at goblinscorner.com or you can reach me eric at goblinscorner.com or me matt at goblinscorner.com we're on all the things what are some things that we're on matt we're on twitter facebook pinterest youtube and twitch as goblins corner and instagram as the goblins corner indeed do you like our show subscribe to the podcast on your favorite player youtube and twitch and hey guys do us a favor if you do like the show if you could click the five stars or give us a review on itunes or youtube or Podchaser, it feeds the hungry algorithm and it helps get our show out to more people so that we can tell you guys how to do more fun things with your games indeed that's all the time we have for tonight once again my name's eric and i'm matt we'll see you next time good night folks The Goblin's Corner has been written and produced by Eric Holden and Matt Staple. D20 did our music. And this has been a subterranean production. Later.